party started. This is Ghetto. Broadcasting live from the studios of AM570. It's on a website. This is FNA. Man, get out my way and watch out as I come. I am a god. Now what? Why don't you get out of that jumpsuit and let me smack that fat ass? That's a scary crew. <laughs> as far as the product goes, uh, the voice of a new generation, man. You guys are the young guys. Are really at the top of their games. The two of them had something in common. We bring you Radio Ecstasy. Oh, it's beautiful. Broadcasting live from the studios of AM570. FNA. FNA. Let it happen. This is the FNA Podcast. It is the FNA Podcast on a Monday. I am not here to get my ass beat on Monday. Back to back. Yeah, yeah. Monday shows in consecutive weeks. I'm Adam Oslin. He's Kevin Figures. You're you. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> you are you and you are me and I am you and you are I. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us. This is Adam Mitch. You can hit us up in many different ways uh, at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at FNA Show. On Twitter is where you can find myself at KFig1. Adam is at follow Adam A. You can hit us up on the TalkS hotline. Call us up and leave a voicemail at 949 478 1197. Uh, did not get a voicemail from the weekend. Oh. Over the weekend, you stupid bitch! Maybe certain of our listeners and fan bases were very, very uh, disappointed and decided to drown their sorrows this weekend uh, and just didn't feel like talking, which I understand. We'll get to that in the first segment. Yeah. Coming up later in the show, we do have Geek News, where one of the biggest technological advances of our lifetime when it comes to how we consume music just turned 20. So we'll discuss that. And celebrate that. The boombox uh, is only 20 years old. Damn, all right, cool. No, slightly, slightly. Boombox, oh, older okay. than that. Okay. Record players, oh, older bad. than that. Got you. Wax cylinder, older than that. <laughs> but we'll get into this digital form of music that just turned 20. First, though, yeah, Kevin brought it up. we got to talk about it. Dodgers lost. Let's go. Let's go time. Let's rock. First of all, yeah. So the Dodgers lose game six, four to two. And after our show on Friday, the news broke, and we had Eric Steven on to help preview the series coming up Saturday and Sunday, we thought maybe. But Scherzer wasn't able to go. Still had a dead arm. Couldn't go in game six. So once again, it was Walker Bueller on short rest, and he labored through it into the fourth inning, where eventually he gave up a home run to Eddie Rosario who was one of the hottest hitters we've ever seen yeah. in an NLCS. One of, yeah. I now, mean, would put him up 4-1. to one. Records, man. Dodgers lost 4-2. to two. Yeah. The guy went 14 of 25 in the series, hit 560, had nine RBIs. The only other guys in a championship series to put up numbers like that with 14 hits. Uh, Marco Scudero, the Giants back in 2012. Kevin Euclid with the Boston Red Sox in 2007. Hideki Matsui with the Yankees in 2004. Albert Pujols with the St. Louis Cardinals in 2004. And the only person that fell just short of that, the uh, ALCS MVP, Jordan Alvarez, who had 12 hits, only 12, uh, in his series against the, um, uh, in the Astros' victory just now in the ALCS. And so uh. he had 522 in that series and had 12 hits in just six games. I would have thought Carlos Beltran would have been on this list as well with apparently the Apparently not, considering how hot of a uh, postseason run he had yeah. with them, but but apparently not. That's uh, how good Eddie Rosario was, yeah. and by, Walker Bueller on short rest struggled again. By the way, a former uh, Dodger prospect, Jordan Alvarez, I should oh. say, that they basically gave away to the Astros for, I think it was Josh Fields, it was, or was it Grant Dayton, 
Some guy, some flotsman, jetsman reliever, as Vic would say, who really didn't do a whole lot when he came here. And Rosario, funny enough. Did they pick him up during the season? Uh, yeah. I mean, Alvarez at the time wasn't even, he was like 19 years old. He had barely played in like a ball at the time. It was very hard. It's one of those, I even got people tweeting me over the weekend. Oh, what do you say now? You Dodger people. What about Jordan Alvarez? We stole him from you. And I was like, I'm pretty sure if you look on any roster, especially in baseball, especially there's a guy that was probably given away. who was 19 or 20 years old in a ball yeah. that nobody knew anything about. It happens. That, that happens in baseball more than any other sport. Of course. But go ahead and gloat H town. Do your thing by all means. Hope, hope you do well against Atlanta. I don't. So, but, but going back, so you brought up Walker Bueller getting into the fourth inning, and and I saw Peter. I guess you and you, the two of you, had a back and forth on Twitter about whether or not we called out Dave Roberts or something. Uh, yeah, I saw something we went about after that. it a little bit last night. This morning, though, cooler heads prevailed. Okay, we both revealed we were grumpy, and I revealed I was uh, overserved last night. Oh. Being faded. That happens. <laughs> Peter uh, and I love each other. But in that situation, a situation with a couple of guys on base, the hottest hitter, as you mentioned, Rosario at the dish. Rosario, by the way, wasn't even supposed to be starting. Solaire was the, is their leadoff guy, and Solaire was on the COVID list. Well, wasn't Rosario so, a midseason pickup for him? He was for them. He was as was Solaire. I mean, I wouldn't say a half, but I say I'd say maybe about five. Five Duval. They have like five key guys on the roster who they picked up either at or close to the deadline. And they won eighty-eight games. They won eighteen less games right. than the Dodgers. So they were trying to improve their game, their team in any way possible. Yeah, <laughs> with yeah. just picking up guys they, along the way. Like they that. did it in a big way, and with Solaire coming up to the dish. Um, you know, uh, Walker, by the way, it got to that point. He had two outs. He actually walked Travis Darno. He was a you strike know? away from getting out of exactly. that inning. Exactly. Because uh, he, he, start, he struggled in the first inning. Then it seemed like Gave he kind of cruised through two, two, uh, second, uh, second and third and early on in the fourth. But those two, all, two out walks come back and bite you. Now, the issue is he had Alex Vessia up warming up, and people thought that maybe he would bring Vessia. Now, after the fact, we found that Vessia did not have his greatest stuff when he walked the bases load at the next yeah. inning. But in the moment, you're like, all right, Bueller's laboring a bit. Now, he just walked a guy, gave up another hit. There's two guys on for the hottest hitter at the dish. I don't know how many people would have complained if they would have tried to bring Vessia, a lefty, in at that point in time to try to get Rosario out. Uh, that, that was one of those kind of head-scratching moments to a degree as well. And look, maybe he said – I didn't like that move. And somebody did ask Dave Roberts about that after the game, and he said he liked the matchup better between Bueller facing Rosario than he liked between Vessia facing Rosario. Okay, Bueller did have him on an 0-2 count, right. but eventually he got to his cutter. It was, and Bueller said post game he didn't think it was a bad pitch. Uh, but if you're going up against the hottest hitter in the National League right now, and you have all your bullpen guys, and the bullpen was very good in this series. For, bullpen was spectacular for the Dodgers. Their ERA was 2.91. Oh. The starters' ERA like 7.50. Yeah. So you have your pick. And you could have had any guy ready, but I guess Vessi was the one warmed up. I would have gone to him. I would have, too. He gave you everything he had. He was coming on three days rest yet again. You know he doesn't have his best stuff. Right. He had the first four uh, guys at the plate in the game had hard hits off Walker Bueller in the first inning. He gave up a run in the first inning. So he wasn't lights out, but that would be uh, their downfall. But really – it came down to what happened in the seventh. Yeah. Two the, men, uh, men on second and third. Nobody, nobody out. out. And you couldn't get a single one of them in. And that was an unbelievable performance by uh, Tyler Matzik, Matzik. who's been great all year for them. Yeah, More clutch 
bullpen relief innings that I've ever seen. And he carried it over into the eighth as well. Mm -hmm. But for him to strike out the next three guys, when all they needed was a couple of pop flies to score some runs, and they couldn't do it. Yeah. So I was like, you give all credit in the world to the Atlanta Braves, who we talked about had one of the best bullpens, I think the best bullpen in the National League in the month of September heading into the playoffs after being terrible leading up to that point. They were great. But then we talk about the Achilles heel with the Dodgers. You know, that was it right there. They were not able to hit with runners in scoring position. Yeah. Specifically two outs with runners in scoring position. Uh, they The the Dodgers were terrible uh, in this series. Yeah, they were 5 for 30 with runners in scoring position in the NLCS. And even though throughout the playoffs, going back to the wild card, so 12 games, you look at the numbers, they averaged four runs per game. But it almost sounds inflated to Dodger fans. It and does. It is, because if you take away one game where they scored 11 runs, 11 runs in that game five, they're down to only scoring three runs per game. You got shut out twice in the playoffs. Yeah. In a series you won, by the way, which never happens. I don't, know, I don't know if that's ever happened before. I'm sure it has, maybe in the 1800s at some point. But that just tells you how, how much of a rarity that it is. The fact that the Dodgers actually made it this far with the deficiencies that they did have going into the playoffs. You know, you take the, the, the names off the back and the payroll and all that and just look at the team and the way that it was playing and the health or, or lack thereof going into the playoffs is actually pr- kind of impressive the fact they made it as deep as they did. And while I didn't like some of the moves by Dave Roberts, I didn't I, like Urias coming out there in game two in relief. I first guessed that. Uh, and I didn't like that move with Walker Bueller in Game Six. They could have taken him out against Rosario. I what do you most... say about the bats? Yeah. What, what what control does Dave Roberts have over that? None. The one move that could have been really overly criticized if it didn't work out was with Bellinger yeah. because of the way he performed all season. Right. But actually, Roberts' unwavering confidence in him helped. Yeah, he helped was great. one of their better hitters. He came up huge. And look, you can – and I don't know how it would have affected the game, but you know, Matt Beatty didn't do much. They started Matt Beatty at first base in game six instead of Bellinger at first. They didn't want Lux in the outfield. And honestly, I, wouldn't, I didn't first or second guess that. I thought that was the right move to make. You can't afford yeah. to give runs away like they did when Lux was out there in game three, the game they had to have that spectacular comeback in the late innings. You know, you can't afford to give games away. And I still don't understand how people can retroactively have the nerve to retroactively go after him for the Scherzer move in Game 5 when I didn't hear a peep about that when it happened. It was all hands on deck. Scherzer said he'd be available. He had done this before two years ago in 2019. Everybody, we always talk about athletes know their bodies best. And Scherzer thought he'd be fine. He went out there, threw 12 pitches, no, 13 pitches, still got an extra day of rest for his next start, but he was never the same after that. You almost get a sense that he he told Dave he was fine going into that, that game five, and he probably wasn't, but he's such a competitor, which tells you, by the way, after, so after they lost, what was the game two that he started in Atlanta last Sunday? And after the game, I had dead arm. I told Dave to take me out. Yeah. When he gets to a point where he says that, knowing him and his – reputation, you knew that there was an issue, and it was probably a lingering issue that had been going for a while. And I, they probably – they would have been better served not using him in Game 5, but if you're Dave Roberts and he tells you he's fine, I would go with him too. And Roberts said in retrospect, if you could guarantee that we could win Game 5 with someone else, I would have used someone else different. Right. But when it happened, I just didn't hear any first guessing about it. 
it was, we have to find a way to win this game against the Giants and get the, out of this series by any means necessary, and we'll figure it out after that. The only thing that I heard is, well, you do have the best bullpen in baseball. Why did you feel the need to? But it was always brushed off with, but if Scherzer was good to go, it was only 12 pitches, so why not? I just didn't hear it when he came out there. I didn't hear anybody saying that then. Oh, I did. I heard people say that, but it wasn't a demonstrative. You shouldn't have done this. It was like, it's questionable that you've done this because the bullpen had been so great. You really didn't need him, and Kinley's been so good. But, ah, you put him out there so it works, so who cares? It wasn't a big deal being made of it. I guess, yeah. But it did get brought up. I, well, I missed it on Twitter in the moment. But, yeah, I guess some people could say that. But it was still, mm, we have to find a way. It's a one-run game right now. And Scherzer got out of it, regardless if the umps helped him with that. And he didn't look great. No. In those 13 pitches. No. To be able to think that, okay, Max Scherzer is not going to be able to be himself the rest of the way, a guy who has been an absolute warrior and a grinder and finding ways to, even when he doesn't have his best stuff, to get it done. For a guy like that to finally be fatigued and hit the wall, it was pretty damn unexpected. Yeah, so you can't put that on Dave Roberts. He had no way of knowing that that was going to How would you anticipate something like that happening? Now, maybe you can anticipate Urias struggling and running out of gas because he's pitched the most amount of innings in his career that he ever has, and maybe to a certain degree, Bueller as well. Nobody pitched more innings this year than Bueller. You know, the, the two of those guys uh, far over superseded the amount of innings but they pitched this season. They didn't have a fourth option. Correct. They, they, they don't have Kershaw. They got screwed because – well, none of their moves that they made ended up working out. But they, I mean, the moves they made, too, were so – I mean, Danny Duffy was injured when they traded for him. Mm-hmm. Cole Hamels hadn't pitched in two, two or three years, really. So, I mean, they're basically they're scra- scraping the bottom of the scrap heap to try to find someone who could possibly start for them by the end of the year. Cole Hamels cheated them out of a million dollars, <laughs> Yeah, basically. A million five, I think, he, he got lied out of to them. them. Well. But Kershaw has to be somewhat responsible for coming back too soon – once again, where he said afterwards, you know what, there was there was still some arm issue when I came back at the end of the year, and I probably shouldn't have. I'm paraphrasing, but yeah, yeah. Did did you tell the guys that? I know you're too much of a competitor, but if you just had that one extra week, and maybe you could have gone late against the Giants in that series or early in the NLCS, that could have been all the difference in the world. Even if it was, if they couldn't work you up to be a starter, and you could come out of the pen. To give a look, they're using oh they use openers how many times already anyway? You could use an opener for Kershaw and do it that way. They've never been yeah. afraid to bring him out of the pin in the past, so it's not like it's something that he's never done in his career. I, I don't know what the discussions were going into the end of the season, but uh, yeah, that, it's a valid question to ask. How healthy really were you? And if that's the case, if you weren't fully back yet, should you have come out there? Or look, did he feel the need that he had to at some point I, because they were so stressed on their staff to begin with? The front office and Dave Roberts. We're not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Oh, God. But I'm not sure, given the circumstances, with all the injuries going on, with Kershaw, with Max Muncy, their leader in home runs in RBIs, and then Justin Turner and Joe Kelly going down, there was anybody that would have organized things perfectly enough that they would have got out of that series or gone on at least to win the World Series. You know, one of the concerns, even coming into the season, uh, Vasse's talked about it, not being able to build bench depth. You know, you got yourself to a point in that game six where Steven Sousa is pinch hitting. And uh, and the guy whose name I'm forgetting right now that I joked around with Eric Steven last week who had like five at-bats during the regular season. 
is coming up. We talked but, about at the beginning of the year, would they miss Kike Hernandez and Jock Peterson? And yeah. during the regular season, it wasn't discussed that often because, well, they won 106 games. While, by the way, running a lot of these guys out there, these Billy McKinney's and Zach Rex and all these people you've never heard of, and they found ways to win. Yeah. But when it came down to it, obviously they would have helped in situations like this. And with the way they both played in the postseason, yeah. it's insult to injury. It's salt in the wound a little bit. But I didn't hear a lot of murmuring or a lot of talk during the regular season that, hey, no. we need these guys. No, but I mean, benches are so important and bench depth uh, is so important, especially when you get in a series like this and especially when you're dealing, again, with things you can't anticipate, but injuries, especially to some of your most important players, you can only weather and the storm so much. Gonsolin just never was good enough, and he right. was injured during the year for a period of time, but he never turned into a reliable Correct. starter for them, which also hurt them when it came to finding that fourth guy out there. Yeah, because because you lost Dustin May early in the season. I mean, he was going to be you know your third or fourth, your fourth starter, really. As much as I have talked about in the playoffs, guys and pitchers especially have to do things that are out of the ordinary. Typically. It does happen for teams that go on to win it all. Either a closer is coming in early, a starter is going later into games or is going on short rest. But to have to do that for three straight series plus the wild card, that's too much to ask. And the other part of the trade-off there is that when a guy is going off three days rest multiple times, mm -hmm. like Walker Bueller, or a guy is coming in in relief like Scherzer or Urias, Teams are seeing them more and more often, yep. and eventually they're starting to pick things up. Yeah, and when you're fatigued, it's one thing if you have your best stuff every time, but if you're fatigued going on three days rest, and I believe Bueller up until this postseason had never gone on three days rest before. He did it twice in the same series. That's a lot to ask. It's a lot to ask for a guy to do, young or old. I got something to ask. Okay. Is uh, 88 back in the gate? I saw quiz, hot shot. I did see your tweet about that. <laughs> I thought it was pretty good, but I have a – Smart-ass Giants fan who's still bitter. And you can hold that against me. But, man, the amount of people coming at the Dodgers' head for winning last year in a 60-game season and not being able to do it in 162, it was everywhere. And it's being talked about. And I don't know how satisfying that victory is going to be long-term with the amount of hate that is coming down on the Dodgers now. And it's not just from Astros fans or Braves fans or Giants fans. It's everybody saying, you confirm what we suspected. You couldn't do it in 162. And they fell apart with injuries. And Clayton Kershaw having his best playoff run in a 60-game season where he only had to pitch 10 games during the regular season last year probably isn't a coincidence. There's something to that. And this is going to be part of the narrative now with, with the Dodgers, whether people want to hear about it or not. And Do Look, Dodger fans, I get it. You're going to defend it, and you're going to say we had to play an extra round and we had to play at neutral sites. But there were no fans, and fans add to the pressure. That's why they call it stage fright. <laughs> it and was, if anything, I mean, the Dodgers, like, a couple of games blew up at home. It's not like they were just getting you know, ranked over the road, too. They home only games. had to play during the regular season, during that 60-game season last year. I looked this up. They only played 10 different teams because yeah. everything was so regional. I mean, everybody did, yeah. Yeah. Like, it was so unique. It was so abnormal. This is why I've always said, if you want to argue that there's an asterisk next to it, I certainly wouldn't argue against it. Well, it's it's hard to argue there isn't just because of what baseball has and has always been, which is a grind, a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, attrition and is part of the game. Absolutely. The bigger the sample size, the 
more representative you get of who the best team is at the end of the day. Generally, I mean, it's also the the play the postseason can be a crapshoot as well too. And there um, can be injuries, unforeseen stuff happening, like with Max Scherzer. But generally, 162 games versus any other sport uh, that doesn't even come close to that. You get the best team at the end of the year, or you get the team that at least was able to ride through the highs and lows, figure it out, maybe get somewhat hot in the playoffs as well. But which is what Atlanta? I mean, look, you admitted Atlanta won eighty-eight games, you they know, did. and maybe they got hot at the right time. They certainly did to, to enough to, to overtake and win the division over the Phillies. Sometimes it's as simple as who gets hot at the end of the season too, and whoever plays best through one sixty-two. If they're not playing well or they're not healthy by the time the playoffs rolls around, then none of that actually matters. Astros have been very good all season long, though. Yeah. They're there, yep. even with injuries. It's especially in to the their playoffs. starting staff. Yeah. yeah, They're decimated. It's going to be an interesting World Series because of that. I think they're the more talented team on paper, but oh, they're missing I mean, guys. I would say Dodger, any Dodger fan that was looking for revenge against Houston, based on how the Dodgers were constructed, had they found a way to limp through and get through Game 7 and win, they were going to get their asses kicked by Houston in the, in the uh, World Series. Yeah, they they just wouldn't be able to hold up. If they were, if the Dodgers were healthy, we'd have something to talk about. But they're not, and they wouldn't have been. And it would have it would have been even more attrition trying to get through that lineup. And the argument I keep hearing from Dodger fans has been, "Well, you guys played a sixty game season too, and you had just as good of a chance to beat us and win the whole thing." Yeah, well, that's, that's true. I'm trying to compare it to the we, rest of baseball, the history right. of baseball. Every winner. You were the best during a 60-game season. That right. does not equate to teams who were the best during 162 right. games. Right. It just doesn't. It doesn't. Right. I said all year, and I even heard Dodger fans say this, it's one to get two. If they had won this year, they could claim that last year was not a fluke. That in their argument, it's it confirms it. doesn't matter. 60-game, 162, we're winning either way. We're the best team. They don't have that now in their back pocket to go to. And so long term, I just wonder how satisfying was last year in light of what happened this year, in light of how all seasons have been played before. And Dodger fans are going to be very hungry <laughs> to, if they weren't already, I mean, to win it all because it still in some ways feels, right now at least, after how things ended, that uh, – yeah, we we've kind of won one since '88, but it's not the same, and we're not getting the respect for it. And it's not we're the World Series champs. You can't tell us nothing, because when the Giants won three, and people aren't going to want to hear this, but there was nothing Dodger fans could really say about it. <laughs> Ron, you could get pissed off, and he was in the room with me when I saw Brian Wilson uh, get the final out in 2010. But mm -hmm. he was just saying, "I'm sick." It wasn't well, this is a fluke, it doesn't count, Mickey Mouse ring type stuff, you're above reproach in those situations. There's nothing you could say, and that's part of what makes it so great of winning a World Series. But just like how reflexive Dodger fans are going after Houston Astros fans for winning in 2017 and saying, well, you cheated, people are going to say, well, you won in a 60-game season back at Dodger fans. That's fair. And it's a fair criticism. It's, I mean, the good thing is you have a front office that generally does not rest on its laurels and, and is, has been aggressive. Now, the one thing that, if you want to say hurts them at this point, if you look forward to the offseason and, and how many key free agents they have, before we even get to the free agents, we know they've boasted one of the best farm systems over the last 10 years. And really, I'd say over the last seven years specifically. Let's go down on the farm, Kate. They've, uh, <laughs> now that they've traded away their top two prospects, who, again, I mean uh, – Josiah Gray was going to be at best, at least projected, as a as a third or a fourth starter. 
and uh, and the catcher they traded away, who had Kilbert Ruiz, who had a cup of coffee up here uh, in last season during the pandemic. They said he was going to be behind this uh, 19-year-old kid, Cartaya, in a couple of years anyway. So I didn't. I, I was fine with the moves to get Max Scherzer, a generational player, Trey Turner, who also played like ass in the playoffs, by the way. But we can get to him too. Yep. Um, so they're 15th out of 30, middle of the road as of now, according to a baseball perspectives when it comes to their farm system. So a little bit of a step back there. You're never going to be number one all the time, but you couple that with all the pending free agents that they have. You know, it's going to shape up to be an interesting offseason. So Clayton Kershaw, free agent, Max Scherzer, Corey Seager, Kenley Jansen, and Chris Taylor. And we'll start with Kershaw. I mean, yeah, the, 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 well, what helps them is not knowing what his health status is. If you thought there was going to be a very competitive market for his services, and there still might be. Less suitors, maybe. Who knows what his, what his health is going to be? Because we've talked about this before. The last, if we were to take last season out as far as, you know, full seasons – you know, he's had injuries, I feel like, five of the last six full seasons somewhere, whether it's an arm, whether it's a shoulder or a back or something. Those things are not going to get better the older he gets. And he's had 376 regular season starts. That's third most in franchise history behind Don Sutton and Don Drysdale. He's 34, but with all the injuries, with all the injuries, he's older than that. Yeah. Oh, you want something too, old man? <laughs> and if he's willing to come back for the right price. Of course you take him back. You do it. But you better have a backup plan because you know he's not going to be reliable. He's just not. Right. He can't be at this age. He hasn't been. He hasn't gone for 30 starts or more the last at least five years, four to five years now, I believe it is. Yeah. And in, in, a, in a couple of those years, he's missed significant time, like three months at a time with different injuries. So, yeah, to your point, you sign him, but just know you better have something something that can back him up, whether that's stretching Gonsolin out. I don't think Mayo even projected to come back until next summer. So you can't really rely on having him in, in the mix. You have to have something else in the pipeline, which I'd, I think they would. I'd almost rather, even though he's older, even though he's coming off an injury, and he has said it's fatigue, he's not injured, Max Scherzer. Now maybe that's BS because he's going to be a free agent and he doesn't want to lose any money, but I would rather bring back Max Scherzer. It's different. Oh, it's unquestionable. Kershaw Absolutely. is the legacy player. He's the Dodger lifer. He's going to go into the Hall of Fame with the Dodgers cap on, of course. But who makes you better next season between the two? It's easy. I, I don't think even the most ardent Dodger supporter would be able to rationally tell you that they'd rather keep Clayton Kershaw than keep Max Scherzer. Dude's ERA, when he came over to the Dodgers, I think in 10 or 11 starts, was under 2. Was yeah. Like 196. It was incredible. He was awesome. And that was after – and take that into account, considering his last couple of starts, he got bl blown up, quote-unquote, for his standards. I think yeah. he gave up like four runs and five runs. Colorado didn't fare well. But even still, that, so, that's an easy decision. A tougher decision for me is Kenley Jansen. Mm. Yeah, you're right. Because the man who had been uh, much maligned over the last couple of years, with good reason, not living up to the standard that he set for himself the previous four or five, and this year, with the exception of a, a tough stretch, I'd say like in July against Colorado, where I think he blew three straight saves and lost one game, has been spectacular. Had a 2.22 ERA on the season. And like after August 1st was damn near untouchable. He went seven innings with zero earned runs in the playoffs. Yeah. And wasn't even threatened. It wasn't like a high wire act or anything. I mean, he was yeah. mowing guys down like it was nothing. He's 34. Yeah. His best days likely behind him, but this was a resurgence type of season. And he evolved for, uh, his uh, his diet, changed that up, changed the way that he pitched, and he felt that's why he's been more effective. And who do you get as your closer without him? Right. We mentioned if there's no Kershaw, you could have Scherzer. Who do you replace Kenley Jansen with if you don't 
because I, e- I even because even a guy. Well, even if you Jansen leaves and you just you're you're bumping things down the line. So Trinan becomes your closer. So who takes his spot? Gratterall, Then who takes his? You know that's yeah. the problem. You're kicking the can down the road without. Now you're taking a bullpen piece that you're losing and yeah, not replacing it. I guess yeah. Trinan would be the guy, but then you have to find who replaces him. Right. Yeah, that's that, that, a good point. That, and that's that's hard to find. So, again, it all comes down to what the players are asking for. Because is there a team, a bullpen-starved team, that'd be willing to say, well, Kenley Jansen is great, maybe we'll overpay him, maybe we'll give him a four-year deal when he really only deserves a one or a two, and overpay and try to get a couple of good years out of him on the front end. This happens in baseball especially all the time. Jansen's the type of guy where I think his loyalty will be there to the Dodgers where he would take less and he could get on the open market just to stay here in Los Angeles should they want him. They'll probably find a way to make that work. I would hope so. If I'm a Dodger fan, I'd hope so because he's a, he's a huge key to what they do. Next on the list for me, honestly, even more important than Corey Seager is Chris Taylor. Now, you would think like, oh, first of all, Seager is a sieve might be uh, a bit of an overstatement, but he's not good defensively, all right? <laughs> And he had a couple of balls get by him in the infield at really crucial spots uh, in this postseason, specifically in this series. Had a couple of big home runs, sure. And when he's hot, he's as good of a hitter as there is in baseball. Believe it or not, he actually hit worse average-wise than Trey Turner did. Yeah. He was 9 for 48 in the playoffs. That's 188. But he had six RBIs. He hit homers. Yeah, his slugging percentage was high. doubles. So he was better. His average was lower, but he was still more impactful. Trey Turner was 11 for 51. That's 215. He had just two RBIs in one stolen base because yep. you can't steal first. If you can't get on base. Yeah. Well, you can't get on first. You can't steal second unless you get on first, and he wasn't on base pretty much at all this entire postseason. It's got to at least make the Dodgers pause for a second. It's still going to be hard to bring back Seager because of his agent and because of how much money he's going to make, but it's got to at least make them pause just because of how bad Trey Turner was in the postseason. Yeah. Unbelievably and bad. His After track he was record. thriving coming yeah. over to the Dodgers. Well, yeah. MVP, uh, grand slams, clutch plays. And as good as – I mean, it's not like they necessarily needed him to play like an MVP in the postseason. They have a lot of other guys around him. He's I mean, serviceable. You know, that was it, and he was not – He's solid. Come up with some big hits. Like, at least Pollock eventually woke up. He did. After having a couple of years of being terrible in the playoffs for the Dodgers, he figured it out uh, the last few games. Um, but, but yeah, because Trey Turner, they have under control for one more season. And yes, by the way, if you go back and look at his track record with the Nationals in the postseason, not that great either. No. Their playoff, their championship run when they beat Houston in seven games, he didn't play that well in that series or that postseason as a whole. I guess he's still young and can overcome these postseason woes. Yeah, you just hate for Seager to go somewhere else, finally stay healthy, start thriving, and be like, well, this is what we all saw in that shortened 60-game season when he was healthy for a full year. He's 27. If he actually figures it out. Now, one thing that could help them, is if the DH actually does get voted on and ratified when the new CBA gets redone, and maybe that changes things. We talked about it with Steven on the last yeah, show. Yeah, Eric brought that up. So so maybe that changes it. But to your point, position or not, I think the money is the big thing. How many $330 million players are you going to have on your roster? I know everybody right. thinks the Dodgers print money. That's what a small extent they do. But hard to pay you know millions and millions and hundreds of million dollars in luxury taxes. That's a lot for any company to swallow. And how much is Chris Taylor going to demand? Well, I'll tell you this. He's going to demand less than than a Corey Seager. So, yeah, but he is a utility guy. He's extremely valuable. He is clutch. He hit no. 350 in the postseason. Right. He was awesome. He had 12 RBIs yeah. for the Dodgers in the postseason. Yeah, it seems like he got every big hit. Four home runs. Now, the thing is, because as a utility guy, the difference between he and Kike Hernandez and Jock Peterson is 
Those guys were role players, bit players, didn't play every day. Chris Taylor is kind of like Sean Figgins was for the Angels. Mm. Yes, he was a utility guy, but he played every single day. He, he just played a different position defensively every single day. I forget if it was June or July where he and Pollock carried them. When Mookie was out, when they had all was, those injuries. It was before the All-Star break for sure. And those guys raked. Yeah. And Taylor was a huge part of that. Taylor was the only guy offensively doing anything for them for about yeah. a month and a half. That's he, why he became an All-Star. He slumped at the very end of the season. Right. But how do you know he's clutch? He was cold going into the playoffs, yeah. and he heated up immediately. Exactly. Trust me, Giants fans, that was nervous time. He, more so than Seager, to me, is the more valuable piece. If you're asking which position player, the biggest position player they have to keep, I think they have to keep Chris Taylor just for how much he means uh, to that lineup, to that clubhouse, and to your point, the clutch factor in the playoffs. I think the Giants are going to go after him, too, because that's far far should. guy. As they He's should. He's the one who found him. The Giants have all the money in the world, so they should. Yeah. Zaidi found him. They got a ton of money. They're likely going to pay Chris Bryant. They should. He hit 400 mm-hmm. for them in that series. But I think they're going after Chris Taylor, too. So whatever that price was, it is going to go up. They're going to drive it up. The CT3 bidding war. I yeah. like it. Yeah. Good for him. I think you have a couple of guys on the periphery who are, you know, I mentioned Danny Duffy, who when he's been healthy the last few years has been great. This past season. It was a they, bust. They traded for him. They knew that he was banged up, yeah. and unfortunately he wasn't able to help them. He would have been a big arm for them in the bullpen, by the way, uh, to help them out. So maybe they bring him back. I believe is Corey Knebel a free agent too? I thought he was, but maybe he's not. Um, he was. He's had some big moments for them too. But again, a guy who's on the periphery, one-year deal. Yeah. This front office has done a pretty solid job, I'd say, over the years. You know, all the credit, all, all of the criticism that they receive for piecing together bullpens that, for the most part, perform fairly well, most more often than not. Considering you don't ever expect Trevor Bauer to come back, right? You. You brought in Max Scherzer maybe because of that situation or else it never would have happened. But they could bring back Max and Clayton Kershaw mm-hmm. and run this thing back with mm. those two starters, get Dustin May back in July next year, and be looking better Yeah, in terms of just having en- uh, enough by- starting pitching. And by the way, hope that Cody Bellinger has another full offseason removed from his shoulder surgery and carries if there's a such thing as carrying the momentum from the postseason. I don't think there is, but whatever. I think really just getting him healthy for a full season, a full offseason going into the year, get him halfway back to what he was before. He could at least you'll take that. have a boost in confidence coming off of this postseason sure. run. Sure. That could help him in the box. You know, that's that's a factor too. You know, Edwin Rios was a key was going to be a key backup for them coming off the bench playing the corner infield who has some pop to his bat. They lost him early in the season. So, I mean, this is as disappointing as it is, and people want to tie together this season with last season and invalidate the championship and all that. They're still built to be able to win championships. They're still going to be one of the better teams in the National League going into next season. This is not something that they made this giant run, and now it's all going to collapse at its core uh, this one offseason. And the good news is if there's a labor strike, they can win another 60-game World Series. (laughs) I guess they deserve that. (laughs) It's quite all right. But they're they're likely going to be a strike. This, this could it be could bad. Be. It very well could be. I don't think it'll get to that. I, I personally don't think it'll get that bad, but we'll see. Nothing's yeah. been agreed to yet, so yeah. we'll see what happens. There's got to be concessions on both sides. All right. Let's uh, let's concede to some geek news here. Yep. Bill Nye, the science guy. Nerds. Nerds. What is a nerd? Lone gunman. We're playing D&D tonight. You want to come? Gangsters. What's up, guys? Deepman's world. Don't be jealous that I've been chatting online with babes all day. Just keep your power gloves off her, pal. Brace yourselves, gentlemen. Back in the 80s and early 90s, we were all looking for the most convenient ways to bring our music with us on the go. Not everyone could be the guy with the boombox above their shoulder walking down the street. Oh, yeah, like Radio Raheem. That's right. 
jamming out to Cool in the Gang or some Van Halen. Because not everyone could lift that big-ass boombox from the Fresh Prince intro that was next to a couple of guys who were up to no good. The Sony Walkman came out in 1979. That was 150 bucks. That's 550 today. You were born rich and you're going to stay rich. And you still had to fast forward and rewind because cassettes suck. And I don't know what's wrong with these retro indie hipsters that put albums out on tape cassettes nowadays. There's no, no advantage. No. Like, the quality is worse. You can't skip tracks. The only thing I can think of is it's easier to fit in your pocket instead of a CD, I guess. But nostalgia is a hell of a drug. Yeah. This is a 5 o'clock free crack giveaway. I remember when Discmans came out, too. And those weren't practical either unless you had anti-skip protection. Oh, yeah, the old anti-shock uh, slide button. That's right. But even then, 48 seconds isn't going to be good enough if you're running past that time, if you're going for an exercise or a jog out there. Mm -hmm. So it's back to the FM radio feature, I guess. Now, if you were a rich mother effer and you had a mini disc player like the late Jonathan Brandis did in Sequest, more power to you. But the rest of us would be lucky to have a talk boy or a yak back to record parts of songs and then just play it back to ourselves. Pretty much. But the portable music scene needed to be revamped with the introduction of MP3s in the 90s, where people were downloading music. Some people. I'm a computer. Yeah, on the computer. Stop all the downloading. Remember Napster? Remember LimeWire? Nope, never heard of either of them. <laughs> <laughs> and so those people who did that, not us, well, they needed a place to put those legally obtained songs so they mm. could take them with them. Very legally obtained. Or you'd not just be held hostage by having them on your desktop computer. Mm -hmm. And so Steve Jobs and Apple saw this hole in the market and filled it in the year 2001. <laughs> and on October 23rd in Cupertino, California... 20 years ago, this past Saturday, Steve Jobs came out on stage and introduced... It's called iPod. iMac, iBook, iPod. What is iPod? That's so fucking funny. iPod is an MP3 music player, has CD quality music, and it plays all of the popular open formats of digital music, MP3, MP3 variable bitrate, uh, WAV, and AIFF. But the biggest thing about iPod is it holds a 1,000 songs. Now, this is a quantum leap because it's your, for most people, it's their entire music library. This is huge. How many times have you gone on the road with a CD player and said, oh, God, the CD, I didn't bring the CD I wanted to listen to? To have your whole in music library with you at all times is a quantum leap in listening to music. But the coolest thing about iPod is that whole, your entire music library fits in your pocket. Okay? You can take your whole music library with you right in your pocket. Never before possible. So that's iPod. Now, it wasn't the first MP3 player. Oh? There was something called the MP Man F10 that came out in Asia in 1998, three years earlier. Okay. Creative Labs had something called the Creative Labs Nomad, um, but it only held about 7 to 20 songs, depending on your compression rate. The iPod had 5 gigs of memory and could hold, as Steve Jobs said, 1,000 songs. Sound which... like an old guy. That was a lot for 2001. Oh, yeah. That might have been your entire music library back then before digital music was as popular and obviously today with streaming music becoming so widely yeah, available. You don't have to download anything now. But the iPod was revolutionary and expensive. 
at 399 that's over 600 bucks in 2021. You were born rich and you're going to stay rich. The design of it with that scroll wheel and the clicker made it extremely user-friendly, and you could do it all with one hand. And mm-hmm. It was also a portable hard drive with a FireWire cable where you could transfer other files or back up things from your Mac. When Jobs demoed it, you want to know what the first song he played off it was? And it was... Return of the Mac. <laughs> no, that's no? good. I made a funny... It was not that. It was not a U2 song, which <laughs> Apple later partnered oh, with. They gift, that they all gifted us. to us. They all gifted their album to us, Adam. That Adam that's what it was. Awful <laughs> Songs of Innocence album, which had to penetrate our playlists on <laughs> iTunes back in, I want to say, 2014 or something. Penetrate. Wasn't nice. that. We were raped. <laughs> but it was... Is this clever? Building a Mystery by Sarah McLaughlin. Oh. I don't know if it's much of a mystery since you're introducing it and telling everybody about it. There is that. The guy who actually made the device, though, Tony Fidel, took less than a year to do so. He started in May 2001, knowing they'd want it available by Christmas later that year. He said he worked nonstop seven days a week, so they should have played eight days a week by the Beatles first. Mm -hmm. Come on, Jobs. But Tony Fidel... He had been working on another MP3 player for his own startup, Fuse Systems. That was the name of it. And originally, Apple called him in as just a consultant on the iPod. But Jobs liked his work so much, after Fidel presented the three possible models they could use, he said he recalled Jobs saying to him, quote, We're building this, and you're now going to join us to build it. (laughs) So Fidel's dream of having just Apple help fund his own company kind of left there mm. now i'm not saying jobs held him uh, over the balcony by his feet oh ice, uh, vanilla ice style yeah he did have a little suge knight in him i think <laughs> any artists out there want to be an artist because remember at the time while apple as a company today is valued at 2.5 trillion dollars mm-hmm. they were like a niche computer company where yep. most of the public still had pcs outside of your elementary school with that apple computer that had oregon trail yeah just gotten back then. right i mean a few years earlier after getting ousted initially i think so in fact before the opening quarter of 2001 before the iPod came out, they had just lost $195 million. Ooh. So reluctantly, because of Apple's reputation, Fidel agreed to join them and lead the project where they would put it together using a Toshiba hard drive, which had to be secure and stable since the device would be moving around, and invent a new kind of lithium-ion pack which gave it 10 hours of battery life. That was huge back then. Mm. Fidel said... There were a lot of holy shit, this is going to work kind of moments. (laughs) Because the new iMacs coming out around that time were all white, they adopted that look for the iPod 2 to keep it uniform. Uh, Can't you sneak in a black one every now and then? What the hell? I can't speak to that. What do you mean, you people? What the hell, Steve Jobs? That Later on, I think the U2 one was all black. <laughs> the U2 special iPod that came out. But uh, when Jobs was unveiling it 20 years ago in that audio you heard... It wasn't even completely finished yet, but he still gave out what was called the pre-1.0 version of the iPod to the media and reporters in attendance, preloaded with 20 CDs that he also gave them physical copies of as to not get in trouble with copyright laws and the Metallica versus Napster lawsuits that were going on back then. Mm-hmm. When it came out to the general public, though, it wasn't exactly a huge success initially that would turn Apple's fortunes around. That 
fruit was still a little bit bruised. People even thought it was just a speaker by the look of it for some reason. They didn't know what to make of it. It was Zoolander style. They were just banging on it. The key was staying the course, though, believing in it. And by the third generation redesign in 2003, it was a hit, which coincided with them launching the iTunes Music Store in 2003 as well. And eventually, Apple had over 80% of the digital music market by 2007, where they had sold 100 million iPods. And then later that year came its cousin, the iPhone. And then three years later, the iPad. And in 2015, the iWatch. Fidel left Apple in 2008, developed Nest in 2010, sold that to Google for $3.2 billion. And if you're wondering, Apple still sells the iPod on its website. And the latest and likely last model, the iPod Touch, goes for still $199. What? <laughs> I'm just going to go find a cash machine. Do you know how much space is on it? Like, what? I don't know who's they buying that They had $200 for that? Really? I had an iPod Shuffle that I would bring to me at the gym. That was my workout music playlist. Okay. I'd have it all on there. Because it was small, it was tiny, it was the size of a flash drive because it was a flash drive just right. with the white casing on it. Yeah, I had the original, or I guess the, the second generation of, uh, of iPods, the okay. black one. It was to freeze up on me towards the oh, end. So you got the black one. Oh, yeah, I, I did uh, get the black one. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's Steve. where it's at. Yeah. Oh, the hell? Black, How many uh, songs did you have on it? Was that still 1,000? Easily. Um... I'm trying gigs? to think. I'm trying to think of how much how much space I had on it, though. I don't because that may have had like ten gigs on it. The second yeah, it, it it had a lot. It had a lot. I did. I I was never in uh, danger of running out of space. I'll put it that way. There you go. And I had multiple albums on there. I had a lot of songs. So you so, can speak to it. Yeah, absolutely. You the iPod the was was great. But yes, a little bit bulky. It wasn't like like the shuffle like you had that you can easily fit in your pocket. It was a little bulkier, but yeah, not as bulky as you mentioned, like a uh, like a Walkman. With like you have this giant block in your pocket walking down the street. Is that a Sony yellow Walkman, or are yeah. you just happy to see me? Like, what's going? That's on? not sexual. <laughs> so are people actually rolling around with Walkman too. You mentioned all these uh, indie people who are like giving out things on cassette tapes. I think tapes. they are. Really? I think I've seen them on Hollywood Boulevard. Oh. It's so weird. I would never anticipate that. There's one thing about being nostalgic if it's like if it's fun or convenient or whatever. I just there's what is there's, the redeeming quality for it? There's no advantage. Like vinyl, absolutely. The yes. sound is awesome. Yeah, I totally it's get it. Less compressed. Yeah, without a doubt. It's a warmer sound. There is literally no redeeming quality whatsoever to a cassette tape. I'm sorry. And we came from the cassette tape generation. Yes. We know. I used to dub stuff off the radio back in the day. We all did. When you heard a song coming on, Quad 106.5 up in NorCal. And that was the thing. You were hoping they wouldn't throw in one of their promos or their taglines in the middle of the song so it wouldn't be like, just like, nah, baby, I got this is original. Yeah. This is a studio. This is the studio version. This is Glycerine by Bush yeah, on Quad yeah, 106.5. DMX yeah. gave this to me personally. <laughs> the, how, how, come, uh, how come they say uh, 92.3 on it? I don't worry about it. I also used to dub from my sister's CD player because she got one first. She was older. Yep. She got the CD player, and you could use the cassette tape in that same boombox to record from the CD. To record off the CD. That was so revolutionary. So you know I had Ace of Base the sign. <laughs> you and many others. Jeez. Wheel of Fortune's a deep cut on that. Album. Oh, is it? Check yeah. it out. I'll go check that out right now. You know what? And I don't have to download it. I'll just open up Spotify and give it a listen. Yeah. Jeez. Now it's all about Spotify. That's yes. what I use. Uh, we'll be back later this week with another edition of the FNA podcast. We appreciate you guys listening. If you want to interact with the show, we encourage you to uh, call us up at 949 478 1197. Tell us what were uh, some of your first cassette tapes or the stuff you used Ooh. to dub off the radio. Good. 
Or if you listen to cassette tapes now. Yeah. And if you, you had an iPod. Right. By all means, let us know. And if you were one of the 100 million people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you want to give a, hit us up on Twitter, you can. I am at KFig1. Adam is at Follow Adam A. We are at FNA Show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Until Thursday or Friday later this week, for Kevin Figures, I'm Adam Oslin. We will talk to you there. Oh, maybe. And come out sweet. Cause you're